Well, hello, my friends. This is Mark Gladman, also known as Brother Frederick James, your friendly neighborhood monk in docs. And this is Monk on the Mic, the Monk in Docs podcast. And this is episode number 16. And I've called this one Somewhere Now. So let's start here. When I was younger, uh, probably between the ages of 15 and maybe 25 or 30, I was really into a lot of that motivational stuff. And what you notice when you're into that motivational stuff is that goal setting becomes a pretty important aspect of what you do. I've come to believe, though, that uh, goal setting probably doesn't help us the way we think it might to live the best life that we could possibly live. So let me tell you why I think that is. Right, so goal setting. The idea is, and you would have done this in school, I'm sure, or somewhere else, maybe in a business or something like that, um, in your job. The idea is that you pick a target, a thing that you want to be, or a circumstance that you want to be in, or a place that you want to arrive at. And once you have this clear in your mind, you set that as your goal and you begin to move towards it. And the metaphors and ideology that people use to communicate this goal setting stuff and the concept, they're really interesting too. Like the metaphor of the map. And that's the one that says... Um, Following the right path of life is like following a road map or a road on a map. Um, and to follow the right road, you got to have a point B from your point A. And if you don't have a point B, then you don't know where you're trying to get to. And then you won't know how to move towards it or which road to follow. And you'll never arrive at your point B. You'll just wander aimlessly through life. Right, so, or something similar to that that has this idea of point A and point B on a map. Or, or what about the SMART goal idea? Did you ever do those SMART goals? Remember that? SMART was an acrostic that reminded you of what your goal needed to be. And depending on who you uh, read or what seminar you went to, the SMART goal stood for something like specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and then either tangible or time-framed or something like that. So you set a SMART goal. Or what about the idea that our goals are supposed to shape who we are right here, right now, so that um, the goal is something that you want to get, but you need to become the person that's able to attain those goals right here and right now. So... Knowing where we are going becomes the tool that shapes how we live today and, and so on. And, and there's nothing wrong with these or with goal setting generally as a thing. But I'm not convinced it helps us, lead, helps us to lead our best life right now. And I got to this point reflecting on the words of Matthew in Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34. So let me read that to you first. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore don't worry, saying, What will I eat, or what will I drink, or what will I wear? For it's the Gentiles who strive after all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but strive or seek first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, I'm of the opinion that this passage isn't about the problem of worry as much as it is about how to live a full and abundant life. In fact, I think Jesus' whole message was predominantly about uh, who we truly are and what our world really looks like so that we could live a full and abundant life. Jesus is a master in helping us live the best possible life. I'm becoming more and more convinced that the teachings of Jesus were about helping us embrace a beautiful life that we can live, not off in some distant place in time or space, but right now. And so the focus of the teachings of Jesus wasn't for some future life somewhere off in the distance, and it wasn't about a goal that we're heading towards or something that we're trying to attain. Rather, it was all about opening our eyes to what already is and simply living in that right now. We forget that this is what Jesus' message of the kingdom was all about, something that we live in and among and that lives in us right now. So you have that beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus focuses in on living in the moment. And it's interesting that he focuses in on living in the moment. Because when you think about it, living in the moment is the exact opposite of what worry is. How many times have you said, oh, I didn't need to worry about that? You ever notice that worry is what we do when we live in a future that hasn't yet happened and may never happen? That it's just in our minds? Right? So Jesus starts in a very interesting place. He starts by talking about observing. He says, consider the birds of the year and the lilies of the field. Consider them. So the first thing Jesus would have us do is consider, to observe. There's an observation that needs to happen for us to help us live well. And that observation isn't of something that is intangible or imaginary. It is of things that we have right in front of us right now, because quite frankly, that's all 
we've got. I don't know what things are going to look like five years, ten years into the future. Yeah, there'll be those who will say, oh, but if you shape your reality, you shape your future, you can create it. Yeah, I'm not necessarily agreeing with that, but I think that for the most part, we spend a lot of time that we have right now in our heads in some place that our bodies are not. Ever notice that? And my conjecture is that when we're spending so much time at some point in the future in our heads doing things that we haven't yet done and may not be able to ever do because you don't know, and we spend all that time thinking about things and circumstances that may never be because you don't know, and as we do this, we don't spend time in the moment with the things and the people and the circumstances we have right in front of us, right now. So Jesus begins by saying, consider, observe, see what's here, right here, right now. And then after Jesus talks about considering the birds and considering the lilies, he then goes on to talk uh, and gets into this concept of not worrying. Now, this whole section of Jesus' sermon is introduced as being not about worry. We heard that right from the very start of that passage that I read. But after this introduction about being aware of our present moment and observing it and fully living into it, he now says, don't worry. Now, this is interesting because his movement is from noticing what's in front of you right now and to, so don't worry. And not what most of us do, which is the other way around. We tend to move from worry, which remember is ahead and not yet real and not where we're living. And we bring that worry back to our circumstance and live in our circumstance through the lens of our worry. Let me say that again to you. Most of us live in our current circumstances through the lens of worry. And because of this, the lesson most people make of Jesus' words here is you're worried. Well, no need to be. Look at the birds. Their food needs are taken care of. Look at the lilies. They don't do anything and yet they're still beautifully clothed. So you don't have to worry about anything either. But I wonder whether Jesus was asking us to see things in a very different way than this. I wonder if what Jesus wanted us to see was that the connection between observing and not worrying was about see what happens to them will happen to you too. But rather, he was saying that by observing what is true and beautiful and just and good right now, we find ourselves living in the now and it's because we're living in the now that we don't have to worry. And we don't have to worry because we're in the now. It's as if Jesus is telling us that it's when we start to get our heads into some sort of future space, future place, somewhere else, that's when we start to worry. And the worry comes in two forms. One form of worry comes from when the imagined future is a negative thing and we worry about what will happen when we get there. 
The other form of worry comes when our imagined future is like the goals we were talking about earlier, and we worry about both the goal itself, that is, making it all the things that we've been taught the goal needs to be, lest we set a goal that won't get us where we want to be, or it's about how we're going to actually attain the goal. These are the things that cause us to worry. So Jesus tells us that we first start with observation, considering what is here and what is now, and it's from there that we can move to not worrying. And once we're observing, and as we let go of our worry, Jesus then says, now seek. And this is incredibly important because what's happening here is that Jesus has brought us into this moment in the now. And then after we're in the now, he says, then this is the time to seek. Think about where the seek comes in traditional goal setting. The seek in traditional goal setting comes right at the front, at the beginning. The seek happens first when we're told to conjure up from our thinking uh, about some place or something that's way out there somewhere at some future time in some future place in some way that you're going to attain. Uh, whatever it is that you want. It's out there somewhere, so dream it up, right? Seek traditionally goes at the beginning. But Jesus comes from a very, very different starting point. He draws everybody back. First, observe the now. Not the then, but the now. Next, let go of the worry. Then and only then is it time to seek. And what Jesus is essentially saying is that what we are truly looking for is already right here, right now. And there's a couple of things that can help us understand why this is the case. Let's start with, uh, let's start with gratitude. Now, some people will tell you that you can't understand what you have until you've shown gratitude for it. And what's interesting about the whole thing that Jesus is doing here is that he's drawing us where we can, to a place where we can find space for gratitude. Where goal setting says, what do you want to have? Jesus is saying, can you see what you already have? While goal set's saying, uh, what relationship do you want? Jesus is saying, can you see what you already have in the relationship that you're in? Now, I get what some of you are possibly thinking. What if the relationship that I have now or the circumstance that I'm in now is bad or toxic or not good for me? We'll come back to that in a moment. But for now, back to gratitude. Gratitude can only be truly felt and expressed when we are in the immediate moment. Have you ever noticed that? And have you ever noticed how gratitude changes you? How it quenches uh, envy and jealousy? How it reshapes your priorities for the better? How you find a new joy where you thought there was no joy? And how you can have gratitude literally drag you from poverty into wealth as you realize how truly rich you are or how successful you truly have been or are. And it's from here, from this place of observing, 
that we should begin to seek because there's no point seeking for something that you realize you already have or seeking to be someplace else when you realize that where you are is where you want to be or need to be right now. So Jesus' order of things here truly allows us to move forward in healthy and productive ways. Let's go back to that question about what if the relationship that I have now uh, or the circumstance is bad, toxic, not good for me. This is the interesting thing too, because it's only when we see those things and understand them that we can move forward from them. So we can still use this idea of Jesus but not have to take it as meaning it's about remaining stagnant or remaining where we are. On the contrary, if it's not good for us and not right for us to be in those places or it's dangerous or toxic or inhibiting to life and the living of fullness and abundance of life, we can't properly move forward until we understand what it is we have or what's happening in our now. So this observing is also about understanding our circumstance now and understanding who we are now so we can make decisions about what we really do need to let go of now as we move forward. Like we, we all know those people and maybe we are these people or have been those people in the past who always end up, for example, in the same type of relationships over and over and over and over again. And they say, I'm not going to do this again. They say, this time I'm going after A, B, and C. And they might even set a goal about the type of person they want to be in relationship with. But all they end up doing is this circle thing, coming back to the same old thing again and again and again. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And I believe they get caught up in all this because they, they haven't stopped to observe. They haven't stopped and gone, this, this is what this is. And this is what I am in right now. This is why I am in this position right now. Ah, oh, now I get it. Now I know what it is I truly need. And only, only when you do that work and come to that place are you able to move forward with some sense of true moving forward, not sort of being tethered with a piece of elastic that's going to snap you right back to where you were. So we start in the now. We don't need to worry about the future. Just be in the now where I am now. And it's worth noting that Jesus doesn't say we're not going to have any worry. In fact, he says the opposite. Jesus says each day will have worries of their own. So Jesus isn't saying stop and be here right now and you won't have anything to worry about. He's saying that the day's worry is enough to take on board. You don't need anything extra or more than that. So don't punish yourself by living this imaginary in the future space and place. There's an important wisdom here. And we have a tendency to try and run away from things and on from things and forward from things way, way too quickly without stopping first of all and taking a full stock and inventory of where we've been, where we are, and then allowing ourselves to fully understand what's going on. We can't change the situation if we don't know what situation we're truly in and not just on the surface. We need to understand things below the surface too with some depth 
so we don't let the same mistakes happen again. So we don't let the same circumstances overrun us again. So we don't end up in the same trouble and issues and frustrations and hurts and calamities that we're in right now. And, and so we start with gratitude, looking at where we are, looking at what we do have. And that's when we get a chance to see the good, the beautiful, the true, the just that we already have. Even the little slivers. Leonard Cohen's famous line from his song Anthem comes to mind. Um, what is it? Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Cracks should never be avoided, but perhaps they should be celebrated for the light that they allow into our lives. Likewise, even if you're saying to me, I've only got this little sliver of good. Well, that's where the light's coming in, my friend. And here's the thing. If you don't stop and consider the cracks that allow the slivers of light, the good, the true, the beautiful, the just, you don't realize that there's something to celebrate where you are right now. Because what if, what if you don't have to recreate your whole world? What if you didn't have to totally dream up and imagine another space, another place in time? What if you could enjoy what you already have right here and right now by finding that little sliver of good and maybe chipping away at that little sliver of good and making it a bigger sliver of good? You know what I mean? Like you could create this little sliver, uh, this little pinhole where the light is getting into your life and shining some beauty and you could make that thing bigger and maybe it gets bigger simply by focusing on it so gratitude my friend and maybe just thinking off the cuff here maybe gratitude is the axe the hammer the sledgehammer that belts against the little crack we see and weakens the wall that's trying to stop goodness coming into your life maybe gratitude is what starts to chip away at that and make that little sliver bigger so that more light, more beauty, more goodness, more truth can come in and shine in. Maybe that's what gratitude does. And then there's contentment. And I think contentment's hugely, hugely underrated because contentment can change our whole outlook. Like gratitude, contentment lets the light in, allows us movement into our now because when we're so busy analyzing what we want to change and move into the future, we just become more and more malcontent with the situation that we're in. And once again, this is not about uh, accepting any circumstance in your life, but it's about realizing that you have to live right here, right now. So you have the choice to live miserably, hoping for this better future somewhere down the track that you may not arrive at, or you can learn, like Paul in the Bible said, to live content regardless of the circumstances. Paul said, I've learned to be content whether I have lots and I've learned to be content whether I have little. But while the key here is being content, the problem is we've made content to be something that it truly isn't. We've made content to be that we're just going to put up with the situation. And that puts a negative slant on it right from the start. What if contentment, though, was simply about finding the joy in the place where you are. We've all talked about the whole grass is always greener on the other side thing. We all know about this. So why do we use the reverse of that in goal setting? <laughs> when we're setting goals 
We're literally saying the grass is going to be greener when I get further up ahead. And here's the bizarre thing. We all know the stories, and there's lots of them, of people who got the goal and it didn't change a thing for them, especially on the inside. They got the money, got the car, the house, they got the person, the relocation, they got the job, they got the body they wanted, they got whatever, 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 and were still unhappy, still had problems, still found themselves in situations where they were miserable and sad and lonely and frustrated and over busy and all the other things. There's something that can be said for contentment as a positive attribute. So if contentment isn't putting up with what you've got, what is it then? Well, I think it's actually a realization of what you have. And we kind of touched on this with gratitude because if gratitude shows happiness, acceptance and gratefulness for what you do have, then contentment says, now I'm going to enjoy this. This is what I have. I'm going to enjoy what I have. I mean, how many people do you know, maybe even yourself again, consistently buying things all the time, adding this, adding that to the stuff that they own that really isn't necessary or maybe even doubles up on things they already have? but they're just not content. Contentment, my friends, is an important part of realizing that we can be happy right where we are, that we can find joy right where we are, that our joy and our happiness doesn't come from an external, but it actually comes from within. Remember, that's one of the places where Jesus said the kingdom was. And so in this seeking, we look for things that we can be grateful for and seek to find contentment with what we have. And then once we've found those things, and this is where it gets really interesting, they ground us. And to be honest with you, at the end of the day, I think this is ultimately what we're all seeking. We're seeking to be grounded We're seeking a connectedness, a groundedness, a rooting down of who we are. And I don't mean that in a geographical sense. I mean that in a heart sense, that we feel this connection, this deep connection to the things and the people that are around us, wherever we happen to be at any given point in time. Because again, this rootedness stems out from within us and roots us deep. I think this is why when Jesus said to seek first, seek now, he said that what we should be seeking first, seeking now, is God's kingdom and God's justice. Now, this is important because when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he's not not talking about a place that we go to when we die. He's not talking about some place up in the sky. He's not talking about anything like that. It's not a geographical location. This is a way of doing and a way of being in the world. And this is why kingdom maybe isn't the best translation, but maybe rather realm is a better translation. And there's this idea out there, a very wrong idea, I believe, that Jesus wants us to paint the kingdom of God over everything and everyone and force everyone else to be a part of it. And if they're not going to be a part of it, they'll end up someplace called hell. This, my friends, is essentially colonization and it's why 2000 plus years down the track it's not 
working. And it's not working because Jesus never asked us to colonize. What Jesus wanted us to do was to go and live, to live in a particular way, to do things in a particular way or doing and be in a particular way of being. This has very little to do per se with morals or laws or anything like that, but has everything to do with love. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't argue with me because both of those sentences came from the works of St. Paul in the Bible in Romans and Galatians. Love, my friends, is at the cornerstone of the whole thing, the whole shebang. And if you start there at love, I think you get a better view of what it looks like inside the kingdom. Rather than a whole lot of rules and regulations and doctrines and laws, Jesus would say, whatever you do, do it with love. And this is why in regards to any question about should we or shouldn't we, I would ask you, is there love there? It doesn't matter what the issue is. Ask me anything. And I would say, is there love there? And if the answer is no, I think we should be looking at it and asking ourselves if it has a place in our doing and being. So love is at the core of this kingdom of God. And Jesus says, that's what we're seeking. We're seeking the kingdom of God, God's way of doing and being. And then we are also told that we should be seeking God's righteousness. This is not about being right, as in prim and proper, like we understand self-righteousness. The word that's used here in the Greek basically means justice. We seek justice. And yes, again, this is justice that can be identified because love is in its DNA. So in this now, we seek God's way of doing and being, and we seek God's justice. And if we can be in the moment and find those things and we live into them now, who I'm telling you, you don't need to have a plan and a map or a point A or a point B. You'll notice Jesus didn't say the kingdom will look like this or that using some sort of concrete language. If you read Jesus' teaching carefully in the parables and specific teaching about living in the kingdom of God, Jesus paints a picture of what happens now. He paints a picture of how to live now. He paints a picture of what we do now. He paints a picture of how to be now. A woman drops everything to go find some coins. A father races off to find his son. A deep sea diver finds a pearl and goes and gets it. A woman bakes a loaf of bread. Farmer sows a field. A vineyard owner distributes wages in a particular way. All of it, all of it, all of it is about how someone is acting now. But here's the even cooler thing. If we act like we're supposed to act in the now, we will create the world that we are hoping for, both for ourselves and for everybody else. You don't have to have a plan or a scheme. You don't have to have a point B. You don't have, don't have to have a goal it doesn't have to be smart or whatever else that we try and put up there to be the thing that we're shooting for. We don't have to live our lives somewhere else and keep our minds somewhere else. 
in order to create a world that we would love to see. What we do have to do is live the way that we're supposed to live right now, in gratitude, in love, in joy, in contentment, in peace, looking out for one another. My friend, that is the place that we're supposed to be and where we are supposed to be living. I think we let our minds wander far too much and forget about being in the now. We forget about what's right in front of us to do. We forget about who and what is right in front of us to love. We forget about what is right in front of us to show gratitude for, to enjoy and to be content with. So don't live somewhere else. Live somewhere now. Be here, right here, right now. And inadvertently, as if totally by accident, but somehow totally on purpose, by being in the now and not being somewhere else, the world will become a better place. And you, my friend, will be part of participating in making that all that it is. And may grace, peace and love go before us and with us and within us every step of the way, this day and every day. Oh, much love to you and all yours, my friend. We'll see you next podcast for more Monk on the Mic. Until then, peace be with you. Bye for now.